Welcome to the show where we share stories about the innovation obstacles and inhibitors that you might encounter on your innovation journey. Today's guest, Adrian Holt, uh, really caught my eye when I saw him a couple of years ago do a keynote and he was introduced as an innovation scout and the founding member of the MOD's J-Hub, the joint innovation hub for the Ministry of Defense in the UK. And I thought, hang on, say what? The Ministry of Defense, A, has actually got an innovation hub and B, is letting somebody talk about it? Wow, you know, this was like James Bond style all coming together. I thought, I have to listen to this guy. And Adrian's talk was absolutely fascinating. And it left me with the overwhelming thought of if the Ministry of Defense can actually have an innovation hub, an open innovation hub, and actively engage with startups, what's everybody else's excuse? But Adrian, you must have seen many monsters and myths on your journey. Before we dive into them, do you want to give our viewers and, and listeners a bit of a background as to your journey so far and, and uh, where you are right now? That's a, a lovely intro. Thank you very much, Andrew. You're very kind. I remember it well. I also remember uh, having to follow you onto the stage and being uh, extremely nervous to do so after your spectacularly well-prepared uh, presentation. Uh, which which left a, a lot of thought in my mind too, I have to say. But yeah, you're right. I had a I had a, a 24 year career in the Air Force as an engineer, uh, and most of that was in traditional defence procurement, fighting against the tide of enormous projects in an enormous organisation. Really exciting um, because the projects are big. The telephone number bills, uh, you know, the, uh, the the bills are the size of telephone numbers, but actually it's pretty frustrating so it's a great privilege to me at the tail end of 2017 to be uh, invited to help establish the innovation hub the j-hub that you mentioned uh, which was strategic commands uh, innovation uh, initiative and that took me onto a completely different trajectory and did actually show me that even in a big old uh, bureaucratic institution like the mod you can uh, if you do a few things right you can get innovation to work um, I think some people sometimes look at defense and think, oh, they, they, they must do innovation because look at all their, their equipment, isn't it great? But actually the truth is that a lot of uh, defense innovation comes at times of crisis and conflict. Uh, and quite frankly, the world's turning too fast at the moment uh, to wait for the next crisis or conflict before you innovate. So it was imperative at the time uh, that we got after some of the new technology and talent that was emerging uh, from places other than the traditional defense primes and uh, engage with startup land a little more efficiently than we've been able to do before. Uh, it was an exciting time. Um, yeah, I learned a hell of a lot. And that's, um, that's a brilliant point. I was just quickly making a note of it in terms of the world is turning too fast at the moment in order to wait to innovate. That, that is a global constant for everybody. That's cross-industry, that. That, mm. that applies to every organization that I can possibly think of right now. And yes. particularly the pandemic has shone a, a really big spotlight on that. Indeed. that Indeed. Uh, you can't wait. It, it, you've got know. to, innovation is now what's going to pull us out and, and, 
and take us into the next stage, you know, call it the new normal if you want to, call it the next normal, whatever it is. But whatever comes next, it's going to be innovation that's going to be taking us there. So, so without any further ado, um, what's your first monster or myth that you've frequently encountered on your journey? Thanks, Andrew. Well, they, I could have picked so many, as you can imagine. Uh, there are so many monsters and myths, but today I've selected uh, three, two myths and one monster to, to share with you, which I think are probably uh, the highest priorities. If you want to get off on the right foot in your innovation journey, these are the ones uh, that are going to either trip you up or stop you at the gate. And my first myth is about creativity. And unfortunately, and I guess some of your audience aren't going to like this, but the truth is, it isn't all about creativity. Um, and I know that's the fun bit. And yes, that's the bit I enjoy too. But unfortunately, it isn't about creativity. It's about delivery. As John Dewar says in his book, Measure What Matters, ideas are easy. Execution is everything. Can you deliver on the ideas? And which ideas should you deliver on? Because you've only got limited resource. You can't do everything. So you have to get very, very good at saying no to good ideas so that you can say yes to great ones. And that's hard. And it's a disciplined approach. Unfortunately, the game we're in isn't just about having great ideas. It's about finding new profitable business models or new advantageous ideas, benefits to the company, and then being able to realize that model. And you can't do that. Uh, just by throwing ideas at the wall and hoping some of them stick. Some people do take the thousands flowers bloom approach to innovation. It's, it's all right. And you will, you will fill your funnel with great uh, concepts. But unfortunately, for all the will in the world, very little of that is actually going to get translated into benefit for a user or uh, into profit for the company or to advantage for the company. At the J-Hub, we had a phrase which we found useful and it was a, it was a good way to keep ourselves grounded. Uh, and that is that innovation hasn't happened until capability has been delivered into the hands of the user. Oh, that, we, that's brilliant, that, I like that. Yeah, it was, it was really useful to keep, keep you grounded because you can get excited about having a workshop and getting some beneficial outcomes. But actually, if one of your teammates then turns around and says, yeah, but what have you delivered? You're like, oh, yeah, hard yards start now. And, uh, um, you know, you get on with it, the hard work of, of translating that into something that people could use. And ultimately, what you really want is somebody to say thank you at the end. You know, you've delivered something that was a benefit to somebody and they say, thanks, that's great. Rather than telling them a story about what jam they're going to get tomorrow. So I think the secret to that, that, that myth is that um yes there is creativity but that's just the beginning of the journey and what yes. we really need is disciplined and repeatable processes for turning the best of those ideas into something actually beneficial that people can use at the other end uh, and unfortunately that requires dogged determination so i would advocate unfortunately take the ball pool out of the office put the stairs back in and take the slide out um, what we really need is discipline because anybody can come up with an idea, but only a few people in big 
bureaucratic organisations have the tenacity and the determination to actually drive those things home and deliver the benefits. I, I think there's very much and and yeah, the ball pond and the whole startup scene and Silicon Valley and all that. I think um, they there are there are times and places for things. So I always okay. love the the whole thing of you need to switch up concept uh, uh, context. So creativity you can create a culture of creativity without having the ball ponds and and things yeah, like yeah. that. Um, but you need some creative spaces to be able to exercise that creative thinking. But as you say, that's only the beginning. Now, you could divide it up and say we've got people who are focused only on the creative stuff and there are people focused only on the execution stuff. But to me, there's a big danger in that because then the people who only ever focus on the creative stuff are not grounded in reality because they don't see the the pain and the friction of the execution side and they don't they can't um, uh, self-select which of their ideas are executable if there is a time frame or something like that so to me it's about finding that blend of of stimulating the creativity when you need it but then having those checks and balances and and Creative people hate process and process people generally hate the messiness of creativity. But how did you guys, you, I mean, a big advantage within the military context, lots of discipline around over there. So maybe your employees were used to um, the discipline and they understood the need for discipline. But nowadays, you don't work in, okay, you, you, you do work within military, uh, um, only you're head of defense at Capital Consulting. Um, but how do you manage to get that, that understanding across the teams that there is a time and place for creativity and then the rubber's got to hit the road at some point and that needs process? How do you overcome that? It's really interesting, Andrew. Uh, I find this fascinating because we didn't learn our discipline from the military. Oh, we, we I, learned I, our discipline from the venture capitalist community. Now, that is a fascinating point. I would have thought completely the opposite. Yeah, it's really interesting because um, a lot of the people that came to us were the rebels and the pirates in the organization. They were the ones who wanted to be creative. They were already on that journey. There's no, no shortage of creative people in defence. Um, yes, they are trained in, in discipline uh, and they can be when they need to be. But actually what we found was we needed to learn the discipline um, imposed in the way it is in venture capitalism to our models to make it work. And if you've, uh, and I know you have, Andrew, but if uh, any of the, the people watching this have ever worked with venture capitalists, you'll know that their focus and discipline is second to none on the prize, which is of all of these huge opportunities which I've got laying in front of me, which one is going to deliver the return? And that to make that choice well and repeat that process is incredibly hard. Um, and they've, they've generally, the, the ones that still exist as VCs, they, they're good at it, otherwise they wouldn't exist as VCs. So um, we learned a load from them. Uh, and their ability to focus on what matters and make tough decisions about what we're going to do. Um, uh, that's, that's really where the, you know, the initial spark of that came from for us. Uh, 
in in business it's interesting because uh the bottom line has a discipline all of its own uh so that there tends to be in my experience um a natural focus on delivery anyway and certainly uh, in my current role we have a, a very outcomes focused uh, approach to our business so we don't quite have the same mantra as the j-hub uh, but the principle is the same we want to you know walk away having delivered an outcome that has moved a needle not just a workshop that's put some sticky notes on a wall I, that is an absolutely fascinating insight i had honestly expected you to say well you know military um and um, well and again it comes to the, the 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 point of what's everybody else's excuse because you didn't come with the advantage because of the discipline in military you've actually taken that from elsewhere uh so so other people can't go oh well it was easy for them because they had the discipline there absolutely yeah. fascinating start with your first but there that's that's very kind of you to say so I, I would also completely agree with what you're saying about you know the need for creativity but i also feel that uh, we have to be careful how much we create because yeah. uh, one of the uh, you you may see an article of mine on linkedin about toxic innovation and one of the greatest is that, uh, is that one of your monsters or myths? Otherwise, I'm writing. Uh, it it's it's not today. It's no, but um, I'm writing that one down as a bonus one. Toxic innovation. Innovation becomes toxic when senior leaders have invested in it and it's failed in the past, and the, the phrase becomes toxic because people are tired of it. So I wrote an article around that, and one of the points I make in there is the fact that the danger is that if you overstimulate the ideas without providing feedback or pull through for those ideas, then you very, very quickly disenfranchise the very early adopters you were trying to get on board to your innovation journey. So you have to be careful that you don't overpromise and underdeliver. Uh, and um, we stimulate ideas, but at a rate that the innovation organization that we've built ourselves can cope with, so that we can give people decent feedback about why their idea wasn't taken forward. If it was taken forward, why didn't it succeed? Uh, and hopefully, you know, one or two of those sufficient percentage numbers will get through the machine and you're able to go back and tell a success story. And then you can get, you, you actually conversely, by limiting the amount of creativity at the beginning, you increase the amount of creativity in the organization overall, because what you then get is successful pull through, a, a good feedback loop to the participants that encourages more people to engage but because you're successful, you're then increasing your resources. So you're better able to cope with the, the, the uh, increase in the, the, the number of ideas. So actually, if you if you just humble to begin with, um, you can end up with a better result at the end. Uh, and uh, the the session that I had done prior to yours at the event that we were talking about, you would recall was the making moonshine one. That's my yes. favorite metaphor. Yeah, I loved it. And, and that was very much an approach of right at the beginning, the whole metaphor of alcohol distillation is once you've built that head of steam, the very next step in the distillation process is throwing cold water over it. And the throwing cold water over it um, refers exactly to that process of selecting and involving all the right people, the cold water throwers, um, procurement, legal and risk, yeah. finance, and all of those, to actually uh, give it a sense check. 
um, because we had learned very early on in my um, previous role that the earlier you can course correct, the cheaper it will be for you to execute on that. Because Absolutely. don't make the course correction for every later stage that you have to make a serious course correction because of something that you didn't take into account at the beginning the cost of making that correction goes up at, we didn't ever try and calculate it, but we we estimated it was exponential. It really yeah. did yeah, rocket. Yeah. Um, and so we, we brought around that very strict discipline right at the beginning of, we've yeah. got creative time and creative space, and then we've got to get adult about it. And we've got to get serious. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant start there. And I'm taking that bonus one of toxic innovation and sticking that in as a monster. Take, take a look, you might enjoy it. What's the next one? The next myth um, is one that I hope people uh, will find uh, cheering. And that is, the, the, the myth is that there is a frozen middle. You may have heard the phrase about the frozen middle and that everybody at the top gets it and everybody at the bottom gets it, but it's just the people in the middle. In my experience, most of the people in the middle are good people. They're not actually frozen. What they are is badly incentivized and poorly informed. So while the senior leaders say that their middle managers, uh, sorry, um, that they're uh, supporting innovation, they're not correctly incentivizing their middle managers. They're not encouraging them to do things differently. And they're certainly not necessarily encouraging them to get behind your innovation initiative. So is it surprising that those people find it hard to support the new innovation? Secondly, they're generally poorly informed. And it's odd that in this time of vast information, we're not able to provide the data, but quite frankly, we're not. And also, uh, and I've been guilty of this before, creative folks, innovative folks who are excited and passionate about their new product tend, unless they're experienced, they tend not to provide sufficient data to back up their statements. So what's quite common is that we bowl into the middle management and we say, come on guys, get behind this, it's gonna be amazing. And they say, why is it gonna be amazing? And we say, well, it is, look at it, it's obvious. Look, look at the advantage of this, it's gonna be great, isn't it? Can't you see, it's great. Look, it's IoT, it's AI, it's whatever, it's virtual reality. You've got to get behind it. And they're like, no, seems to be going okay here for me. Thanks very much. Because we've not gone with any data. We haven't gone with a value proposition that they can relate to. Not a value proposition that's tailored for them. It might be tailored for an end user somewhere else that can relate to the thing we're trying to change, but it might not be tailored for those people in the middle management. So if we want them to get on board, there's a few things we can do. So we can incentivize them. We can help them uh, by perhaps working with senior management to say, come on guys, why don't we throw these guys a bone for challenging the status quo, for doing things differently, for getting behind in information, innovation. We can actually encourage uh, senior leadership to completely change the incentivization uh, plan for the business something that Staffy Bacall advocates in his book, Loon Shots, which I'd strongly recommend to anybody, is the creation of a chief incentives officer that sits at the board level, which I quite like the idea of, that actually maps out how we incentivize people to get the behaviors that we want to see in the company. 
because unless we do have the right incentives in place, we're not going to get the behaviours we want. But on a day-to-day -day level, uh, as us, as the sort of the, the innovators inside the company, what we can do is be really disciplined with ourselves about the way we provide data. Um, we've got to be humble about this. You know, we're not Jeff Bezos just because we're frustrated. It doesn't give us the right to stamp around the company telling everybody else that they're rubbish uh, and that we've got all the answers. What we've got to do is try and collate the data that would be meaningful to them and show them that in a way that they'll find compelling. So, for example, I know you're going to find this really, really painful, but in your world, if we implement this over here, I'll create that much benefit, which will release this much money, which will enable that to happen for the company. And isn't that going to be great for everybody? And maybe if we do it in those terms, technology agnostic, you know, get away from what the exciting thing is, we can slowly bring the middle with us. Uh, and they, they will thaw rapidly because actually most of them are going to quite enjoy being part of the innovation journey. If only we can explain to them why it is a noble thing for them to do. Uh, it isn't easy. It isn't easy um, because, you know, the, the, the way that they do their jobs and the jobs they do um, have been that way for, forever. And that's all they know. So trying to convince them that there's a better way uh, is going to be difficult, but it can be done. Incentives uh, and data to support your arguments rather than just passion and emotion. And, and people often think incentives, oh, you mean pay people money. And it's not at all. No. A, no. a lot of the time, um, it's simple things like recognition or maybe yep. the ability to actually work on something different. Um, yeah. And and what you said about it's not in the middle management's interest a lot of the time, um, absolutely resonates. I've worked in corporates where uh, the the objectives, the annual objectives that you've got to fill out this this you know um, your regular reviews and things like that the objectives are so defined for your department and function that somebody else comes along and says, hey, there's this great innovative thing. You go, not in my objectives. Why should I exactly. do it? And so having collaborative participation as an incentive, I know worked, I can remember um, uh, the, uh, seeing a case study done at BT, where BT many years ago, um, had put in to their objectives um, that was reported to HR as part of their peer reviews, they had to rank their peers on how collaborative they were and what their active collaborative participation had been. And they worked out, they were using some, um, I can't remember what, what it was, but whatever their intranet platform was, um, you could actually earn like reputation points for participating, um, you know, giving comments on other people's initiatives and ideas and supporting people. And, and I've heard of other companies now, like trading virtual coin type of a thing, that, that isn't worth money, but it's like reputation points, um, whereby you get a score for actively collaborating with other departments and peers. And I think, so, so from, from the incentive bit, I do think, and, and there's part of me that agrees with you, although I have seen some, some 
frozen monsters in the middle management. Um, they can exist. <laughs> they can exist. Um, but I do agree with you that that largely it's not the people, but it is the lack of the structure around them that doesn't enable them to be able to do what to achieve the outcome that you're looking for. Um, but the second, the second part of that also, when when you're talking about um, taking people along on the journey. So I love telling stories. I born in Africa, grew up around storytelling all my life natural born storyteller. I love stories. I coach storytelling. That's one of my biggest workshops. And I coach it for a number of reasons. One of them is ideation. But communication is the biggest thing. And and the communication side of storytelling um, is all about telling stories that resonate with people. Everybody loves a good story. I haven't ever come across a culture or a people that don't love a good story. It's we, we as humans, we love stories that resonate with us. And, and you can use storytelling in sales, in I do it for startup pitching and coaching for them to be able to get investment. I teach them how to tell stories. I've, I coach sales teams on how to tell stories that resonate with their, their, their clients. And I coach internal innovation teams. And I'm going through it at the moment with, uh, with somebody that was put on to me um, who is starting an innovation initiative and, and reached out for some help. And I'm coaching him through the process of telling stories that take people along on the journey. So stories that resonate. And by stories, I don't mean tell them lies. I mean, put your innovation concept in a context that either puts the person that you're telling as the as the victim so in other words they go oh we don't want that to happen to me so we'll support you or you could put them as the hero you know if we do this yeah, jointly yeah. look where you will go or you can put them as the as the protagonist you know where they go yeah i want to be the one that's making that change there are so many different yeah, ways yeah. and and the more you start thinking about that and to me, that, that communication, as you say, it's not just creatives, particularly in the techie community. I mean, I grew up as a tech, you grew up as an engineer. We end up using terminology that is, is um, it's like shorthand and code to people in our community. So you could talk to another yeah. engineer and go, oh, it's AI and, and it's IoT and we're going to do this. And they go, yeah, 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 man, let's do that. And then you go and speak to somebody in the business and the acronyms just go, and you have to learn to tell the story in their language. And, and that is just so important. So uh, yes, your myth of frozen management and that, that's two main ways about the frozen middle um, that you've given us really good advice on there. Incentives and provide them context with data. And I would add data within a story that resonates with them and takes them along the journey. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You never know; you might even find some new advocates to support your uh, support your quest. You do because people, if you tell people a story that that resonates with them, they remember it. I, that was a trick that yeah. I learned a long, long time ago um, when pitching for funding for innovation initiatives. Um, we used to, in, in one of the organizations I worked on, there was a very strict formula template that you had to fill out to be able to apply for innovation funding. 
and I was running an innovation department. We didn't have funds. We had to go around cap in hand to other people to go and ask for it, to an innovation board. And um, I threw the template out the window and walked in and told a story. And I ended up where that initiative was the only one funded at that innovation board. And all of the people on the innovation board were talking about it weeks later because they remembered the story. But all of the other pictures that they had mm -hmm. seen on that day, they couldn't even tell me what they had seen. They had forgotten about it. Work had gotten away, but they remembered my mm -hmm. story. And the, my uh, senior executive at the time, he came back to me and he said, don't know what you did in there, but whatever it was, do that again and never do it any other way because it worked. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah. Brilliant. So we finally get on to your monster then. We do. We do. And you'll be pleased to know uh, that we have a story. And in this story, uh, we're the protagonist. Okay. So I want to introduce you to the integration monster. You may have heard of the integration monster before. Uh, if not, I'll describe the beast to you. Stands about 20 stories tall, multi-headed, and its superpower is to absorb an infinite quantity of resource. You cannot get past the integration monster without knowing how to do it. But it's imperative that you do, because if you don't get past the integration monster, then your innovation just falls on the floor. It doesn't get adopted, it doesn't get used. It's all a waste of time. Its various heads comprise the departments that are required to successfully integrate your innovation. So organizations like commercial finance, security, safety, branding, marketing. In your company, it will be subtly different, but my guess is those six heads will be there almost everywhere. You know, might not notice the integration monster to start with on your innovation journey. It normally gets invoked by throwing innovations in the general direction of its lair. Each successive innovation you throw toward the integration monster, the beast gets larger and larger and larger, it becomes more impenetrable. You can't get past it. Its skin gets thicker, it hears less, and you're not going anywhere. If you want to defeat the integration monster, all you need to do is understand what it wants. It's super simple. Unfortunately, a lot of innovation organizations keep throwing innovations in its general direction and wonder why it gets harder and harder to integrate their things. All you need to do is listen and understand. If you do listen, what you'll find is that the integration monster just wants a new garden path. It wants a nice, neat path to its front door. So all you've got to do is build it that special path. As you build it, you've got to embed the rules about how and when your innovations are going to be allowed to use the path and which route they need to take. And you have to agree passwords for each of the individual heads that you'll pass along the way. If you do that, you will find that the integration monster can actually be quite helpful. He's a pretty innovative soul when you get on the right side of the innovation monster, integration monster, and can actually get pretty excited about innovation. He's looking forward to helping you uh, integrate your next one. 
but you have to build the garden path first. So to get away from the metaphor, what I'm trying to say is that within every organization, there are certain departments and organizations that you need on side if you're going to integrate your new innovation with the core business and turn it into a genuinely profitable business model. If we just take our ideas in isolation inside the innovation lab to the point of testing and validation and just assume that someone's going to be as excited about them as we are, then we're wrong. What we need to do right from the very beginning of the journey is engage with those departments that have a say in how those things are delivered. And a legitimate say, you know, there's going to be a legal compliance aspect to it. There's going to be a commercial financial aspect to it. If we engage those people early, we understand what their needs are. We understand what the constraints on the design of our innovation are from their perspective. And we consider all those points along the way. When it comes to integration, we'll get a free pass. We'll move along through and the thing will be delivered into core and somebody somewhere will be allowed to derive benefit from it. But if we just expect them to be pleased about us forcing new things down their throat, we're just going to find the barriers go up, resistance increases and the chances of a successful um, uh, exploitation of our innovation are reduced to zero to nil. Adrian, you've surpassed yourself. And at the moment, you win the prize for the best monster metaphor. I, I had said right at the beginning of this that one of the things that I have thought about doing was uh, re-engaging with the um, the children's book illustrator that had done my, my illustrations for the Monsters and Myths session. Um, and to, to at, at the end of the series, or, or maybe after a couple more episodes, start um, at drawing up, actually bringing these monsters to life in a graphical manner to be Good part idea. of keynotes and workshops. And, and the vision that you've just given me, the metaphor that you painted was just so perfect. And, and the whole thing about, you know, the skin getting thicker and the multi-headed, that, that to me, so far, that's the best story of the series in terms of <laughs> bringing into life. That is. Well, you said you like stories, so you know. That's perfect. Didn't want to let you down. That that is absolutely perfect. I can't. I can't. Yeah, I can't top that. That's and there's nothing more. I think that will resonate with everybody. And again, I think everybody will be able to to recognize the integration monster, regardless of industry. It doesn't mm. matter. And, and regardless even of what size organization, size of organization, industry, none of that matters. They will face the integration monster at some point. And, and it could be a friendly monster if they've, um, you know, gone out and, and uh, struck up the relationships beforehand. But if they haven't, and you're 100% right, so important to have everybody involved at the beginning. Um, and mm. even if it's only from a, a communication of awareness perspective, mm. because some of those heads might go back to sleep again and go, that's oh, okay. I'm, I'm not worried mm. about that. Um, but mm. there will be other ones that'll go, sorry, excuse me. That's going to mm. directly impact a whole lot of things mm. that, uh, you know, not, not just, I want to be involved. I need to be involved. Otherwise your innovation will fail. Um, yeah, and it yeah. will fail for a whole host of reasons that you may not have thought about yet. It's absolutely right. 
I think the, the other thing about the integration piece is that we have to remember that these people, uh, you know, they've got day jobs. They're not necessarily focused on what we're doing. It's common, it's courtesy to, to, to be polite with their time. Um, but we also need to help them. And what we found really useful was finding named individuals within organizations, rather than saying it was X department, what we would do, we'd find a, a named individual and say, can, can we have you on our journey? You as an individual, will you sign up to doing this piece of work for us? Um, and that way we found that we got much more traction because A, things got done because you got a named individual signed up to it, but you weren't just throwing a rock at a department and saying, come on, this is your job, guys, get on with it. This was very much about, I've got one person, you know, a human being who has agreed to join me on this journey and they, they're going to do this piece of work for me. Get them to sign a bit of paper or something or a, um, a chitty somewhere to say that, yeah, I'm on the journey and I'm going to do that bit. And we just found that, um, uh, you know, smooth the water so much. But I'll be completely frank with you. We learned the hard way. You know, we, we threw a lot of innovations at the innovation monster and created ourselves an enormous problem before we learned. And that is a fantastic point to end on because sadly we have run out of time. We've gone over our 30 minutes. I try and keep it at around 30 minutes. I keep on saying that, but I hardly ever do keep it to 30 minutes. Um, but it, it uh, before, flew by, Andrew. It flew by. Thank you. Before we go, um, you had mentioned blog. Uh, do you blog often? I'm going to put in the show notes your LinkedIn profile if people want to follow you. Um, have you got a Twitter account? Where can they find out more about you and your fascinating journey in innovation? Uh, the, the best place to have a look is my LinkedIn profile, I think. Uh, if you just look me up on LinkedIn, you'll, you'll see uh, everything that I think that's um, of value. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite expanded into the blogosphere yet, uh, but I, might, I may just start recording some of this in a website in the near future. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today, Adrian. And I hope to see you in person and delivering one of your fascinating... You are more than welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great privilege to be here, Andrew. Cheers.